0: Uh, 20 years ago this month, uh, I said I love you to my wife, Adrian for the very first time. Uh, we were both in grade 10 at the time, which I kind of think is probably too early to be throwing around the love word, uh, but it worked out in our favor. Now I wanted to tell her I loved her, but I also didn't want to make a big deal out of it either. And so I called her, she was, the next day she was traveling with her family back to Arkansas for a visit, and I called her and I said, um, I, 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 we're talking on the phone like the classic landline. No, Neither one of us even had cell phones at the time, so it's like attached to the wall. And you, you, you guys know what I'm talking about? The kids, you don't know what I'm talking about. So I call her on the landline, and I'm like... Uh, we're talking, and I'm getting ready to do the I love you part that I kind of planned ahead of time, but I decide I'm going to sneak it in the middle of a sentence so maybe she won't even notice it. So I'm just like, uh, hey, I hope you have a safe trip to Arkansas. Don't eat too many squirrels. I love you. And then when you come back, I would love it if you brought me a gift. If you don't, I'll never forgive you. I thought I, like, snuck it in there, right? I said, I love you, and she didn't even notice. And as soon as I was done my sentence, she's like, I, I love you, too. <laughs> so big deal was made. You we've been together long enough, me and Ader now, uh, long enough to count it in decades, uh, which means we're getting a little older. Uh, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wow, what a lucky woman she is, right? Married <laughs> to you, and, and you're just thinking, it must have been 20 years of pure bliss, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why you guys are laughing. Uh, I know this will be hard to believe, but it's, uh, the truth is I'm, I haven't actually always been that easy to be with. Um, It's it's true. Uh, There was a time when uh, me and Adrian were teenagers and Adrian was dropping me home after uh, a party. And as she turned the, uh, she drove an F-150, I drove a two-door Sunfire. So embarrassing, you guys. She was so much cooler than me. And we're dri- she's driving me in her F-150 and she turns the corner into my street to drop me off. And I think to myself, I'm going to prank her. And so as she's turning, she's going slow, I open the door and I fall out onto the road. And then I lay there as if I'm dead and I hold my breath and close my eyes. And so she jumps out of the truck and she's all frantic and she thinks I'm dead. And, you know, I'm not breathing and she goes to check my pulse and I start laughing. And she hauls back her fist and she punches me in the face as hard she could or you may have heard like how how i I proposed to her right she had come over for dinner and uh we were 20 at the time or 19 i don't know it was a long time ago and uh she's doing the dishes and so i got down on my knee behind her she's at the sink and i pulled out the ring and i said hey babe how would you like to do my dishes for the rest of your life (laughs) and like she said yes Uh, Or there was a time uh, we were trying to sell our condo. We had a one-bedroom condo that we lived in, and I was kind of getting tired of how messy our house always was. And so one day from work, I called my wife, and I said, we've got a showing tonight. You better clean the house. Well, there was no showing. I just wanted a clean house when I got home from work. (laughs) I'm not proud of it. I'm just being honest. I'm confessing to you guys. I've come a long way in 20 years. And somehow, after two decades, we're still together. And I i don't know about Adrian, but I'm more in love with her today than I ever have been. And I haven't always been the best husband. She hasn't always been the best wife. <laughs> but we've been patient with each other. I've been patient with her, and she's been patient with me. And all along the way, when we've screwed up or hurt each other's feelings or gone off and done something we shouldn't have we always come back and course correct and say I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness and we offer each other forgiveness the attribute that you might want to call this is long suffering (laughs) my wife is long suffering with me but this is an attribute of God too God is long suffering with us He is patient with us. No matter how many times we walk away from him, no matter how many times we screw up, no matter how many times we turn our back on God, he is long-suffering, he is patiently waiting for us to turn back to him and ask him for forgiveness. The psalmist wrote this, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. God is full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And when we walk away from him, he is patient with us. When you read the story of the people of God, you'll see how time and time again they lost faith. It's the story of the people of God. They lose faith. They turn away from God and start walking in the opposite direction. And you read again, time and time again, God waits for them patiently. And when they turn back to him, he's ready right there, ready to rescue them. This is, if you're honest with yourself, this is probably how your faith has played out in your life too. And that's how Daniel and the people of Israel found themselves in exile in a foreign land called Babylon. They had turned their backs on God. They had sinned against God and against each other and against themselves. And the consequences of their sin caught up with them and that's the thing about sin right we 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 know that sin is just it's just not good for us it harms us it harms us personally and it harms our relationships and just think about it for a second just we'll use the ten commandments you know as a backdrop every single one of those ten commandments is described in relational terms it's either between us and god between us and each other or even between us and ourselves the sins described and the Ten Commandments are relational in nature. And, you know, some people look at the instructions of in Scripture as these thou shalt nots, right? It's just a list of things that you, you're not allowed to do. But I see these, these instructions in the Bible more as a guide to relational flourishing. When we live our lives according to the Word of God, we will be healthier. And our relationships will be healthier. Sin is destructive. It has negative consequences. It's not good for us. And if we're not careful, our sin will just lead us away from God. And one day we'll look up in the mess we've created and we'll look up to the sky and realize we found ourselves far from God in exile. Daniel and the people of Israel found themselves in exile in Daniel chapter. Man, my mic is just... Bothering me. You think these ears would be big enough to hold it in place, but Daniel and the people of God found themselves in exile. In Daniel chapter nine, we find out the reason. See, at this point, uh, Daniel and the people of Israel had been in exile in Babylon long enough to have served under several foreign kings. And it's been almost 70 years, and the people are losing hope that they may ever be able to return to their homeland, to Jerusalem. They're losing hope. They think they might just be stuck here forever, never set free from captivity. And Daniel journals a discovery he's made as he's reading Scripture. Let's read it here. He says, in Daniel 9, 1-2, it says, It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Hazaras, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. Daniel is reading the ancient scroll written by the prophet Jeremiah. This is the same book of Jeremiah that's in Your Bible and my Bible. He's reading Jeremiah and he discovers that many, many years ago, the prophet Jeremiah made a prediction, prophesied that the people of Israel would lie in exile for 70 years and after 70 years, the Lord would rescue them. Now, uh, Daniel doesn't tell us where he's reading in Jeremiah, but we, we know because there's only one place in Jeremiah where he makes this statement. Jeremiah 29:10 it says this is what the Lord says you will be in Babylon for 70 years but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again Daniel is literally in that exile reading these words of Jeremiah about how God wants to rescue them after 70 years Daniel found hope in the word of God God made a promise through a prophet that he would not abandon his people, that he would not leave them in their suffering, a promise to bring them home again. Now, this is not the point that I want to make today, but I just want to really quickly make a small point. You too can find hope hidden in the pages of your Bible. The Bible is one of the clearest ways God has chosen to speak to us it's one of the best ways God has chosen to reveal himself, his nature, his person to humanity. And you can find what you need in the pages of your Bible, but to find it, you've got to read it. You can give yourself the gift of reading scripture and discovering the hope in, found in the pages. And if you don't have a Bible, i got lots. Come talk to me. I'll give you one for free. Or if you're more tech savvy like James Knelson, you, you've got your Bible on your phone, right? He can, that way he can make this, the letters bigger uh, to read. <laughs> <laughs> one, day, one day Daniel was in his recliner, in his pajamas, sipping his coffee, reading the Bible, and he found hope in the stories of Scripture. And you can find hope there too. Daniel knew the people uh, of God had wandered away from him. Daniel knew that they had turned away from their faith in exile, and he knew that if there was hope for them, something was going to have to change. They were going to have to turn their hearts back towards God. Now, Daniel did some quick math while he was reading Jeremiah, and he realized that it had been around 70 years that they had been in exile. And this promise that God would rescue his people is coming due. And so what Daniel did next is something that you and I should learn to do when we walk away from God. What Daniel does next is something that you and I can practice in the real world when we find ourselves losing faith or not trusting God. And Daniel 9 verses 4 through 6 It says, Daniel says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Oh Lord, you are great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned. And done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. And Daniel goes on and on and on, confessing his sin and the sins of his family and the sins of the Israelite people, asking God to forgive him. Daniel confesses his sin to God. He acknowledges the failures of Israel. He accepts responsibility for the consequences of his sin. And he chooses to turn his heart towards God. He chooses to repent. Now, the word repent can feel like a loaded word, a loaded religious word, but it it doesn't have to be. To repent just means to turn to course correct, to stop walking away from God and to start walking towards him, to stop harming our relationships with sin and to start living a fuller life that God has promised us. Daniel chapter 9 reveals the cause of exile. The people sin. And in so doing, Daniel bids us to humbly confess our personal and corporate sin before the throne of God. And on that throne, we find a God who forgives. And on that throne, we find a God who wants to give us freedom. And on that throne, we find a God who made our freedom possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's been patiently waiting for us to turn back towards him. What about you? To repent? Is there a place in your life where you've turned away from your faith from God? Is there a place in your heart that you know has become hard? You guys, I've been uh, a Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan forever. And no, I'm not repenting of that. I bleed green. Now, I wish I wasn't a Rider fan. It's a terrible burden. They're constantly letting me down. Uh, but I can't help it. It's a disease I bear. Uh, they're my team through it all. And a few years ago, uh, the Riders actually played an exhibition game here in Fort McMurray uh, against the Edmonton Elks. And it was awesome. Me and my brothers, we did, we went full, uh, we carved watermelon helmets that we wore. To, it's just what you do, you guys. When you love your football team, you wear a watermelon helmet. Halfway through the game, like, juices running down my face and I'm getting all sticky and we looked like idiots but we didn't care because we love the riders and actually those stupid helmets got us on TSN that day which uh, was pretty dang cool um, and I remember there was this young woman who, uh, who was part of the Elks organization because it was considered a home team for the a home game for the Elks they were throwing those like plush footballs in the stand and they had Edmonton Elk um, logos on it and I was like yeah, yeah throw me one throw me one and she threw this at me and I didn't catch it uh, like a douchebag. I slammed it down in the field and said, not in my house. <laughs> Cause it had an Elks logo on it you guys. And she just looked at me like, what the heck man? Like, What's wrong with you? And I'm like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a writer fan. It's disgusting. I, I've lived my whole life in Alberta and Fort McMurray is my home. Everything good that I have is because of this place. All my friends, all my family, my life has been blessed because of this place. But my heart will always be on the field of Mosaic Stadium in Regina. I could never cheer for the Edmonton Elks. I'd rather, I don't want to tell you what I'd rather do. I wouldn't, I just could I just I couldn't do it. And Daniel's the same way in this story, right? He lives in Babylon. It's where he worked. It's, it's for the past month we've been looking at the ways Daniel has found a way to thrive in a place where nobody agrees with him, in a place that runs contrary to every one of his sensibilities and every one of his values. But he's been in this city making positive contributions to the life of the city, making positive contributions to the culture of the city. The city is a better place because Daniel has been there. Yet his heart was always in Jerusalem. And last week we even talked about how every time he would bow down to pray in his home, he'd bow down and face the city of Jerusalem to pray. Daniel lived in Babylon, but in an ultimate sense, he lived for Jerusalem and all that it stood for. And you and I, this is kind of our story too. You know, We live in Fort McMurray, we live in Timberley or Dickensfield or Beacon Hill, and we, we live where God has us right now at this time. And like Daniel, you and I should contribute to the life of the city that we live in. We should coach on our kids' uh, you know, sports teams. We should volunteer with local charities. We should make our neighborhoods better. We should add to the city that we are in right now. We should seek to bless our neighbors and gain the influence and the respect of the people that we work with and work for. We live here in Fort McMurray, but in an ultimate sense, we live for heaven and all that it stands for. You may have a Canadian passport, but if you're a Jesus follower, then you are a citizen of heaven. It's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here as it is in heaven. Now the author of Hebrews looked at the simple, faithful life of Abraham, one of the uh, you know, the fathers of the faith, and he commented that he had such powerful faith because Abraham confidently looking forward, Abraham was confident looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. We love our neighbors and we bless our city because we carry the hope of heaven in our hearts. We are heaven's ambassadors. In a moment, we're going to take communion together, and so I'm going to invite the band to come back up and help us close it out. I want to tell you a story about my grandma. She died while I was a teenager, and I was always very close to her. I spent every weekend at her place, and let me tell you, she made the best powdered chocolate milk, and she made the best fried eggs. Nobody has ever done those things better than her. Her name was Martha. And her last few years here were difficult ones for her. She had a bunch of different stints in the hospital for various things, and finally, pancreatic cancer sent her to the hospital for the very last time. Near the end, she didn't have any energy and she had lost most of her eyesight, so she couldn't even watch TV or read books anymore. My mom tells me about a time when she bought a book called In the Light of Heaven by author Randy Alcorn and gave it to my grandma. It's a book about the hope of heaven, that for those who follow Jesus, death is not the end, but in fact, death is just the beginning for us. And mom was going to read it to my grandma because she couldn't read herself, Uh, But Grandma was tired, and so she said, well, maybe we'll try tomorrow. And so Mom just left the book uh, about heaven on her stand, left, gave Grandma a kiss, and went home. And then my mom likes to tell the story of the next morning, how she came back and found Grandma sitting up in her bed with this book in the light of heaven in her lap, and she had read the whole thing. Then she woke up in the middle of the night and read this whole book. And she looked at my mom, and this book had filled her with peace. And she said, God gave me my eyes back so I could read it. C.S. Lewis famously wrote this line If I find myself, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You and I were made for another world world and so that is why we pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven we invite heaven to invade our lives when you follow Jesus you don't just sit around waiting for heaven you live to bring heaven down to earth and communion something that we're going to do here together this morning is a place like this a place where heaven meets earth where jesus has promised to meet us at this table on the night before his death jesus had gathered with his closest friends around a dinner table like they had done many many times before this night was different jesus broke the bread and he handed it out to the disciples and he said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and they ate And then later in the meal, he held held out a glass of wine and he said, this is my blood. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And they, they drank the wine together. And at the end of the meal, he's told them, whenever you eat or drink like this, remember me. Whenever you eat or drink like this, remember me. And this is why we practice communion because Jesus told us to. It is an enduring reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But it is not just a reminder of something that happened in the past at the communion table. It's a place where today you can receive the grace and mercy of Jesus fresh again. This morning maybe you feel like the people of Israel, like you wandered so far away from God, he's forgotten about you. You feel far from his love and his grace. You may even feel like you've wandered too far this time. But God is long-suffering with us. He is just waiting for you to turn around. He's right there. The psalmist wrote, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you love us. And that there is nothing we can do, no place where we can go, that you would give up on us. That as far and as fast as we can run, you are always right there waiting patiently for us to turn back to you. And so, Jesus, I just pray right now that your spirit will move through this room, drawing people back to you for the first time the first time in a long time. And Jesus, as we partake in this communion table together, I pray that you meet us here in this moment. As we eat and drink the bread and the juice, that we will receive fresh and new your mercy and grace again today in the present. And Jesus, where we have wandered, help us to repent. Where we have sinned, help us to turn back towards you. And see that your face is there with a smile and love in your eyes. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.